let's start with that first question, shall we? Uh, Wayne Rooney wants to be Manchester United captain. You are having a laugh. I don't know. He'll be a perfectly serviceable captain. Let's all just get over it and move on. It's happening. We might as well accept it. It's very unfortunate. Nobody wants it except for the handful of Wayne Rooney uh, super fans who are really massively into people running around. He's done very little in his time at United to earn the captaincy, but Nemanja Vidic uh, earned the captaincy by uh, threatening to leave the club, essentially. So, you know, there there is precedence in recent history. Uh, It just all seems a little bit unfortunate that this is the sort of club we've become. Mm, Well, he got the captaincy after threatening to leave or at least looking around I'm not quite sure it's the same thing but no I take your point Vidic was also looking at his options I'm not sure he quite went as far as trying to move to City and Chelsea and given this is an ambassadorial position it's not just about who shouts most which is uh, Wayne Rooney's pitch today he he shouts a lot he's very vocal on the pitch apparently Uh, it's it's also an ambassador of uh, Manchester United and uh, I don't ever remember Vidic shagging grannies prostitutes smoking drinking or generally acting Larry but there you go there's uh, I've said this before so I suppose none of that's new uh, should we move on to more exciting things Manchester United won a game of football it was so good it was so good well it was so, really? so good well, for about, about 45 minutes of good yeah, yeah. Ten, 10 minutes at the end was absolutely brilliant I mean it was uh, super cool to actually uh, get to go to the game something I don't get to do very often at all we sat quietly as Manchester United goals went in I'm a pretty self-controlled guy so it's not particularly challenging for me but the one set of circumstances when it is actually difficult for me to remember that I'm not supposed to jump up and down and punch the air when United score a goal is when there's like a, a lovely ticky-tacky interplay move uh, where we play football that looks like the kind of football we all want to see which is then finished by Danny Welbeck uh, a difficult moment in my life that Ed uh, the backstory there I'm um, uh... Paul and I sat in the home fan section, which I've done, have, have to say, many, many, many times. Uh, particularly difficult getting away tickets at the moment, it seems so. Good performance from United, though, uh, I thought, for about 45 minutes in the second half. And, and the one thing that was really notable about the game was uh, that United played quite narrow and uh, there really wasn't the emphasis on getting it wide and hoofing it long into into space. I mean, Moyes is a uh, proponent of players playing with space and so likes to stretch the game, which is uh, part of the reason why United play so many long balls at the moment. In fact, United play a lot of long balls. I looked up the figures, uh, about 15%, significantly more than West Brom. But that said, uh, Yanazai tucked in occasionally, uh, spent quite a lot of his time wide and, and Mata definitely tucked in and it, and it made for less space between the, the key players in forward positions. United actually played some nice football in the second half at least. Uh, managed to get some triangles going, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, what was kind of interesting is that in spite of the lack of emphasis on wing play, some of the goals came from wing play, which sort of just shows what can happen if you mix it up a bit. You know, the fact that when you're playing a bit narrower, I mean, Fellaini w- was put in a lovely cross um, and the, I think was it Raphael's cross for Rooney's goal and and it was some some overlapping wing play from Raphael that led to the free kick which Van Persie passed into Phil Jones for his goal. If you think about that, that's all people overlapping into space created by the wingers right. coming inside. So let's let, let try and start with a negative and end on a positive, really, with this one. Because I was a bit surprised when when we got home and I was put on Twitter, uh, United were you know relatively average today against a really abject West Brom side. I was 
just genuinely surprised that that wasn't the kind of uh, universal take on it because in the first half United were you know very substandard find, find it very difficult to create anything got that set piece and got the goal but West Brom were absolutely abject so you know it, it didn't seem to be much to write home about and they had a lot of injuries you, you pointed out to me that Zoltan Gira had gone to right back and 30 seconds later Rooney scored uh, when he was completely ignored by Zoltan Gira and then West Brom's heart just completely left the game for that and United changed things up when Kagawa came on but uh, Adnan Yanazai I thought had a very poor game sadly well he didn't have a great game but he looks a bit undercooked to me Moyes is talking about uh, you know protecting him but he's not played a lot of football recently and really hasn't played that many games this season if you look at how many starts he's had so I just thought he's, he's looking a bit rusty uh, plus, he rather strange relationship with Patrice Evra, who kept trying to hit him with long balls all the time, which is, you know, part of the reason why United had 15% long balls or something along those lines. But anyway, to get back to the, the bigger picture, I, I thought it was a, a good last half hour or something like that from United. And uh, what went before it was all right, but nothing spectacular. I thought uh, United defended well, which is a, a good base to build from and did OK through midfield. Uh, Fellaini, in the end, had a very good game. First 45, not so good great looked a bit off the pace second 45 came into it a bit more some uh, interesting tactical issues from United I mean not everyone on the same page so uh, central defenders split uh, which is you know and, and Michael Carrick dropping into the back four to effectively make about three a lot of the time which is fine except Fellaini has this habit of getting ahead of the ball which is what he did at Everton so we really did have the donut uh, for Manchester United a lot of the time so it had to go wide and long on occasion because of that so um, yeah a little bit of work to do there I'd say you need to get those players a bit closer together otherwise United are, are not going to play any of the decent football we'd like them to play but then again David Moyes is in charge so uh, maybe that will never happen but look 3-0 win for United uh, doesn't happen that often does it and in the end lots and lots of positives to take from that game uh, yeah and interestingly what happened for the third goal was oh, we, I guess we should talk about the, the big sort of news story out of that game which was Robin Van Persie in pretty abject form not great body language I think he's physically not right I I think a a lot's being made of the moodiness and I'm sure there is something to that but he was very flat when he came back from injury last season for a couple of months wasn't he and I wonder how much of it's physical he he probably should have been sent off you could almost feel the referee bottle it in real time you know uh, that second yellow card it's either not a foul or it's a yellow card as far as I'm concerned lots of people saying shouldn't be a yellow card he got a piece of the ball it's like well that's only a justification if it's not a foul at all yeah which of course it it is a foul and and people still this this, uh, bizarre argument about getting the ball is is total nonsense he went straight through the player so yes agree with you very very lucky there could easily have been sent off in, in different circumstances. And I, I would suggest in European football almost certainly would have been Premier League. Uh, slightly laxer standards on that one. And, and I think you're right. I think the referee did bottle it. But yeah, completely right in, in your other point there. Very poor body language from Van Persie. I, I have to say, I do find the reaction from fans a, a bit weird about this one. You know, because look, he is having a strop at the moment, but we know exactly why he's having a strop. He's not happy with United's tactics. He's not happy with the results. He's not happy that he doesn't get to dictate his training regime anymore. He doesn't get on with the manager, despite what David Moy said about sitting with him on the plane. Although, mind you, he didn't actually say he sat with him. So they travelled back on the same plane. 
So, you know, Robin Van Persie is not happy. Uh, David Moyes hasn't buttered him up in the same way that he has done for Wayne Rooney. Uh, and uh, I'm afraid that's, um, that's impacting on Van Persie's game at the moment. You know, he's not a happy bunny and, and he clearly needs to feel happy in order to play well. You know, Ferguson was brilliant at this. You know, when a player needed an arm around the shoulder, he did that. When he needed a bollocking, he did that too. And he managed to extract the best out of players in almost all circumstances. And when he didn't, he got rid and we'll we'll see uh, exactly what United's take is on this situation in the summer because I'm not sure it's going to change an awful lot between now and then. And lots of people pointing out that United looked much better when Van Persie went off, but not to be this guy. No, this isn't even a Welbs reference. Um, but actually, I really did think Kagawa changed a lot for United when he came on because what happened at that point was you mentioned earlier the players being really stretched, but once Kagawa came in, you had Mata on one side and Kagawa on the other side, both really quick to dart inside. And that third goal, you know, Kagawa was in the centre circle at the beginning of that move and Mata comes right inside and interchanges. Fellaini and everyone's really close together but yeah Welbeck's movement makes a huge difference but I think Van Persie would have been in a similar position for that goal probably although there was the moment when he and Rooney quite literally ran into each other's zone uh, when they bumped into each other in the box yes Wayne Rooney's zone being rather large (laughs) so harsh so very very harsh it's so harsh I know look I I think it's a fair comment about Welbeck playing a part in United playing some better football in the last half hour because you know he's movement is very good and, and Van Persie's was very poor. Welbeck's touch isn't always perfect but he is very good at that kind of one touch play right so he moves uh, into space and brings other players into into the game and, and his finishing is not always great either but you finished the third goal uh, you know in expert fashion so he adds a lot Welbeck in terms of his all-round game uh, and if United are going to play a possession game where we play through the middle, then then there's a good argument to say that um, you know Welbeck is going to compete with Van Persie for a starting spot. He's a couple of levels below in terms of the class of his finishing, and and in the end, that's kind of what a striker is judged on, isn't it? You know, so that's an important thing. The other thing to say is that that is unusual from United. That last thirty minutes is is not the pattern this season. So uh, I think we would be a little remiss to pretend that. That's suddenly how United are going to play. Remember, they played a little bit more narrow against Crystal Palace a few weeks before that and uh, straight afterwards with Olympiacos and more long balls and more hopeful aimless crosses. Yeah, a couple of things. One, I just want to clarify, I actually wasn't saying that, that Welbeck's introduction was the thing that made the primary difference. I was saying that sort of it was it was actually Kagawa coming on that enabled that to happen. Agree. No, you said that. You said that. That's fine, yeah. And and, and I think you're right uh, on that point too. Kagawa is, uh, you know, he always has this, int- you know, this um, ability to, to to change the pace of the game in a way that there's no real other United player who can do that. And I guess that's why one of the reasons why it's so disappointing, he doesn't seem to have had the opportunities under Moyes to prove he can do something. But, you know, the fact is he doesn't do two things that Moyes desperately wants his players to do, attack space and hug the touchline. Doesn't do either of those things. And uh, and I'm afraid that with Rooney at, you know, number 10, uh, Kagawa's in uh, real trouble because he's just not going to play in the wide areas in the way that Moyes wants no and it's a real shame and the other slight point I guess is that maybe the Olympiacos game I mean the fact that Mata's not available in Europe 
and maybe that makes a bit of a difference. And actually, the fact that we've played in two league games in a row against lesser opposition in a slightly more expansive, interesting... Well, expansive is the wrong word, um, but a, a kind of creative uh, and, and fluid style uh, with shorter passing maybe offers a little tiny bit of hope. It's this moist thing, right? It's it's the it's the desperately, desperately wanting to be wrong about the fact that 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 third goal was an exception rather than what we're building towards. And and the one thing that you can say about this season is that the times when we've been good, that's how we've played. And and you'd have to be, I was going to say thick, but that seems kind of harsh. But you have to be kind of pretty thick skinned let's say not to get the idea that wait a minute this is Manchester United we don't have to just play to control the space uh, and and stretch the play and use that we can actually use our technical advantage over our opponents and then we play nice football and the key to all of this is this isn't an aesthetic argument this is a results argument we are better when our players are closer together we just we are more effective it's very frustrating uh yes although i mean i'm afraid that's a logical argument too far for david moyes and uh, i've had this debate with loads of people who say oh well he'll uh have changed why why you know have you not seen eight months of of uh, united performances and, and 10 years of everton before that right this is how his teams play right so he he wants to change out a significant proportion of his team and his squad uh, in order to get players that will play more like the way he wants. Now, the outlier in all of this is is uh, Juan Mata, who doesn't feel like a very very much like a Moyes signing. And of course, Mata said this week on his blog that um, he sees himself as the number ten, doesn't see himself as a winger, even though he's been playing from the right. Funny, didn't get a lot of criticism for that when Shinji Kagawa said something very similar. A lot of uh, United fans were up in arms about that one, but uh, he's absolutely right. He's not a winger. He played very much inside. Uh, and uh, the challenge for Moyes there is if he does that and unbalances the United shape, especially in the defensive situations, uh, then you've got a real problem. Now, against West Brom, that was that was all right because actually Fellaini covered the right and he spent a lot of time on the right-hand side of the pitch, Fellaini. Against Liverpool on Sunday, I'm not sure that Moyes will accept that. Uh, and I think what he'll, what he'll do is he'll bring in a uh, more traditional wide player than, say, Yana Zai. Uh, probably Antonio Valencia, who will hug the touchline. Matter will play left, and and he'll he'll probably use Fellaini to cover defensive positions on the left as well. You know that kind of structure wins out over flair and fluidity all the time with David Moyes, and uh, I think we'd be a bit foolish really to expect a sudden change. Yeah, absolutely. And the the other thing about that West Brom game feeling a bit like a sort of a new dawn. <laughs> First of all. There's already been a lot of them, as previously discussed on the podcast. It's West Brom. It, I mean, my goodness, they were bad, right? I mean, they, they, I'll be, I'll be shocked if they don't go down. And so will every West Bromwich Albion fan within a kind of 300 seat radius of us, uh, by the th- seams of it. Mm, yeah, look, I mean, even just looking at the goals, uh, three, three pretty awful errors all round, actually. So even with the the third United goal. So first goal, apart from the crude foul on Raphael, nobody marking Phil Jones at the set piece. It's pretty criminal, even from a relegation threatened side to, to not pick up a set piece. Second goal, uh, as I was shouting at you, not 30 seconds before the goal, that Giro had gone to right back and Rooney went the blind side of him and he wasn't tracked. Straightforward header. Uh, and the third goal, 18 passes before United 
scored that goal. No pressure on any United player at any point in the whole move. And uh, that's why they're going to go down. Uh, it's uh, it's harsh on Pepe Mel, I think, seven games in, but they don't look like they've got the quality or the character to stay up at the moment. They don't. Uh, I'd say they were beaten as a, a set of players already, and there's pretty much nothing Mel can do about it. They are also, it's worth noting, charging £25 for an evening with Pepe Mel. Only an evening? To quote The Simpsons, uh, you pointed out that that seemed a very ambitious fee. Yes. Yes, well, Pepe Mel's replacement. Anyway, so that's that's West Brom. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, in midweek, uh, off the pitch, Manchester United shares have shot up. We'd, we'd commented on the show a few times uh, already how United's uh, share prices had been some at one point about 22.5% off from the date Ferguson had retired. It had been slowly creeping down uh, over these months, you know, worries about revenue if United are out of the Champions League, long-term effect of David Moyes, the fact that significant investment is probably likely in the transfer market, wiping out United's cash pile. And, and all of this has worried uh, investors and along come Barron Capital Management, uh, run by Ron Barron, and uh, they've bought up a significant block of the available shares. So uh, there aren't that many shares available. Only about 10% of United is traded, and they now own about 2.5% of the club in total, uh, which is interesting. And it's interesting that it's Barron, really, because Barron has this reputation as being a very long-term investors. They're, they are not speculators by any means, um, traditionally anyway, uh, and uh, they tend to invest in areas that you'd say were safe bets, so healthcare and real estate and that kind of thing. So interesting all around. You wouldn't necessarily say football's a safe bet, but there you go. You have to have a new significant investor. Yeah, uh, 2.5% of the club, that's one and a quarter percent of voting rights, right? Yes, not exactly going to make a takeover, and, and uh, I, I should say this is not a precursor to a takeover bid. This is a fund management company they are long-term investors they're simply looking to extract a profit because they believe that united share price was uh, too low over the long terms united's share price was about $14.50 last week it's about $16.50 now so they probably turned around a quick profit but it looks like they're in it for a longer term and we'll see where united's share price goes from here of course the uh, bump in the price is because someone has been buying lots of shares and that might not happen next week. No, absolutely. Interesting. It's also, it's a pretty small bet from them, right? No, it's a bit, it's about $80 million or so and, and uh, their total fund's worth about $20 billion, So it's it's pretty risk-free. <laughs> Basically like you or me buying 80 pence worth of shares really, isn't it? That's... Yeah, well, I don't know. I have a couple of billion spare. So, um, you know, now and again, I chuck a few hundred million at a, Funky startup like United. Weren't they listed as a... a... High-growth company, yes, which was uh, interesting, yeah. Also, in other financial news, Toshiba this week and United made a big splash with the new medical centre, so a bunch of CT scanners and various other medical equipment, uh, including this classic line from David Moyes. Uh, Manchester United has a lot of partnerships, and this one's very important for attracting new players. Hummer. Yes. Well, you know... Can you smell the BS coming (laughs) off that one? (laughs) No, you know, they'd pop round. I don't know if you want to attract players because of really good medical facilities, do you? (laughs) Owen Hargreaves turns up and goes, oh, this is brilliant. This is is a ploy to get LK Gundogan, isn't it? That's what this is all about. Mm, That's it. Well, we're going to overtrain you, lads, and uh, no no doubt you'll be getting hamstring knack or muscle knack of some kind. uh, But don't worry, we've got some great scanners to 
going to show you how bad the knack is. I, I, I mean, you know, it's just another partnership, basically. And, and uh, United's investment in medical facilities has been uh, long on the cards and uh, trying to move some of it out of the Bridgewater Hospital into their private hands, which is all fair and good, and, and no one complain about that. But, uh, no, not but at I all. I think Moyes went a bit too far in proclaiming that... Uh, uh, some new uh, pieces of medical equipment will somehow make it easier to attract players. Mm, yes, no Champions League football, lads, but look at the size of this donut-shaped machine. Awesome. Um, the uh, the talking of Moyes going too far. The letter to season ticket holders. I, I got some uh, genuinely upset stick on Twitter for uh, for saying that I found the whole thing really cynical, and and I didn't take Moyes at face value at all. Uh, cynical both on the part of the club's PR machine. Uh, pulling on the heartstrings of season ticket holders, asking them to renew. But also, the finally, the point at which even the kind of United fanzine polls have started to, had started to show a, a majority of people in favour of Moyes leaving. He thanked fans for their unwavering faith, which I, I think... I would have had much less of a problem with that letter if it had said unwavering support, but it's actually kind of offensive to suggest that United fans have unwavering faith in the mystical abilities of David Moyes, I thought. Well, yes, faith is blind, apparently, if you're David Moyes. Yes, I mean, it's a quarterly update to, to season ticket orders, so it wasn't anything out of uh, the usual, although I have to say I, I couldn't really respect the message in there because uh, I thought it was kind of grovelling and pathetic and uh, grow a pear man. And, uh, you know, what else could he say? It's been brilliant this season. We'll try and beat them. We were brilliant, really. It's all the rest for I suppose he could have done that, but he's lost all credibility trying to do that. So I thought it was slightly strange. But th- then again, he's he, he was damned if he did that and damned if he came out with something else. I, I have to say, given the results at United, it was very hard for him to write anything that, uh, that sounded um, genuine. And uh, he came across as uh, disingenuous instead. But uh, there you go. That's David Moyes. I don't hate David Moyes at all. I I sort of like him. I really wish it was working better. And every time I see a little glimpse of the good football, I think, oh, yeah, maybe he will spot that. You know, he's a smart man. He's not an idiot by any means. But yeah, and and I know you're you're pretty convinced he's not going to change. And the evidence definitely backs you up because every time we do take a step forward, we take two steps back, which leads me nicely on to the Liverpool game at the weekend, having taken a step forward against West Brom, three giant leaps forward, three points, three goals. Um, The Scouts has come to town in rare form. Well, rare for the last... 25 years or whatever. Very unfortunate to see Liverpool do well as we fall apart of the seams. Uh, what do you think our chances are? How do you think Moyes will approach this one? Are you optimistic, etc.? Well, a few questions in there. Um, so, I mean, you'd make Liverpool favourites, wouldn't you, given the comparative form to United's and uh, position in the league table and all of that kind of stuff, which is uh, unusual, really. Can't be many occasions over the last 25 years where Liverpool have been favourites for a win at Old Trafford as well. Um, uh, how will Moyes approach it? Well, I think he'll be somewhat more conservative than than United were against West Brom. I'd be shocked if Antonio Valencia or Ashley Young or maybe both didn't start. I, it's hard to cram Massa and Rooney into the same side and, and play both Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia. But if it can be done, Moyes could do it. Uh, there, are, there are a few questions over the side still. I mean, certainly uh, Robin Van Persie's performance against West Brom has put a big question mark there. You'd expect him to start. It's a very big game. He's a very big player. You'd expect him to start. But it wouldn't hugely shock people, I suppose, if he started on the bench and maybe Wayne Rooney went up front and 
Mata came inside and that would allow Moyes to play both Young and Valencia in the same side and, and he'd do that because they do give you good structure. Uh, defensively, they, they both uh, you know, defend the space very well or they defend the space, which is what Moyes wants and, and uh, Liverpool do use width quite well. So, you know, it, it kind of tells me that it could be a slightly different approach from United than the one against West Brom. Yeah, but... Uh, this is the nuclear option, isn't it? Dropping Van Persie, playing Rooney in front of Mata and Young and Valencia on either flank. What do you think the realistic chances are of him dropping Robin Van Persie? That does not seem a very Moyes-esque move. No, I don't think it'll happen. Um, If I'm betting right now, I think the side pretty much picks itself. So I think uh, Rooney will play behind Robin Van Persie and Mata will play left and and Valencia right and Carrick and Fellaini will play in the centre and... And really, the only other question then is is who plays uh, in the two central defensive spots? Do Smalling and Jones get that nod again, or is Moyes true to his word? And when he said that uh, he he had uh, rested Vidic and Ferdinand because they'd be needed in future games, that one of them will play, probably Vidic, which could happen, of course. You know, Smalling uh, drops out and Vidic comes in. Jones and Smalling were excellent against West Brom, as was uh, Raphael. You would think, if you put yourself in the way David Moyes has kind of run the side, you'd think he goes for the kind of route one option, doesn't he? He goes for the most obvious choice, and that is that big game play Vidic, you know? That's how these things work. I think actually probably should just play Jones and Smalling, uh, not least of which because they're really mobile, and they'll they'll be up against very mobile attackers. And also, you know, there isn't anything other than pride riding on this game. So actually exposing Jones and Smalling to the challenge of Sturridge and Suarez and seeing how they match up. Maybe not the worst idea, Moyes, but I doubt he'll do that because there's immense pressure. He's not just playing for pride, is he, I suppose? He's playing for his job. Uh, well, he is, although I'm not necessarily sure that he's got that reactive yet. I think he feels fairly secure in his job. If there's a choice between being bold and being conservative when it comes to David Moyes, I think... Um, I always pick the conservative one because it seems to be where he lays. It's not a barometer of my skill at picking the team, but at the moment I'm picking uh, 9, 10 or 11 on occasion players that Moyes is likely to put out. I could never do that with Ferguson. So uh, I think he's just a little more predictable and, and there's a few choices to be made here around Yanazai versus Valencia, around Smalling versus Vidic, the issue around Van Persie versus playing Matter inside or... Well, back up top, and I, I think you can come down on the conservative side of all of those, and you're probably more likely to be right than wrong. Absolutely. Assuming you're sort of putting yourself in the Moyes mindset, you'd go with Jones alongside Vidic rather than Smalling alongside Vidic. Uh, yes, I would expect that would be what Moyes would do. I have to say, if I was making a choice between Jones and Smalling, I'd pick Jones too right now. Although Smalling had a very good game. Very good game against West Brom, and as did Jones, they were both very, very good. But uh, Jones is just a little bit more mobile, and there's plenty of pace in the uh, Liverpool attack, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Smalling might be our best central defender this season, actually. He hasn't played there all that often, but early on in the season he had a couple of slightly dodgy games, but he's been pretty consistently good when he's played in that central defensive role. Everybody that's listening to this presumably knows the kind of challenge that Liverpool will pose United this season. They are a very different proposition than they have been in in recent times. They're in hugely confident form and we're the underdogs. And, you know, the the truth of the matter is we've not really performed well against Liverpool for a long time, have we? It's, It's kind of a cliche that we don't raise our game against Liverpool in the way that they do. It's their cup final. Sadly, this season it's our cup final. Oh dear, come on. I'm not having that. Not having that. Liverpool are playing well. Very good 
good win at Southampton last week. I mean, underperformance from Southampton, certainly. But they've, they've found a pattern. They've played possession football. They played three through the middle. Coutinho's had an excellent season. He's the kind of creative spark. They use width from the fullbacks very well. And, and in, in Sturridge and Suarez, they've got bags of pace and goals up front. So they're definitely dangerous. You know, that's part of the reason why they have 11 points more than United this season. Uh, and... Uh, and they're very good on the break as well, and that'll be important at Old Trafford, I guess. Uh, I actually, th- I actually think, given that they'll play three very narrow through central midfield, and then continue just sitting ahead of them, that they'll probably hog possession uh, against United because uh, you know we're want to give it away quite frequently, aren't we? Yeah, in Jared sitting deep, they've revived a one of the top players, top top player. Uh, Ferguson wouldn't agree uh, from the Premier League over the last fifteen years or so, and and you know he's. Be, become a kind of defensive midfield player. Um, Henderson, alongside him, had an excellent season. Joe Allen might play, might not. Uh, depends whether they want to try and get Sterling into the side. Um, and then with Agra and Skirtle both fit, which hasn't always happened this season, they've got a pretty solid uh, central defensive base. It's uh, not good news in general, really, is it? This, this is going to be a really tough game. And then and then after that one, uh, it's the second leg of the uh, European Cup. Last 16, first knockout round, I think is what it's officially called, isn't it? Round of 16, I think you for call right, it. But yeah. there you go. The round of 16 and a huge challenge for United to overcome that 2-0 deficit, not because uh, Olympiacos are a good side, but because, of course, they can't afford to concede. I would desperately hope that this will see a rather different approach from Moyes. And you wonder whether he'll go whole hog play every attacking player he's got you know it's going to be really interesting I kind of haven't really thought ahead of the Liverpool game and and whether even he'll make some selection compromises in the Liverpool game with a view to overturning Olympiacos because it's a big task but it's not impossible is it you know you can imagine United on their day beating Olympiacos 2-0 or 4-1 couldn't you yeah I'm not Sure, I can imagine United beating them 4-1, but maybe, yes. Uh, look, United can win this game and, and could go through. He's going to take a really big effort. And, of course, having to win 3-0 to go through means that uh, United will be a bit exposed. And uh, uh, Olympiacos have some players that could cause United damage. Now, of course, you know, away from the home ground, their record isn't nearly as good. Uh, it won't get the same kind of atmosphere not in their favor at least see what kind of atmosphere there is at Old Trafford I suppose United could uh, could spring one of those great European nights to go alongside beating Barcelona 3-0 in in 1984 and all of that uh, big comeback so I remember another game when United had lost uh, away from home in the first leg against Atletico in the year after United won the um, cup winners cup now this is aging me now uh, everyone thought we'd uh, go out and uh, beat them and uh, there's all the talk about that Barcelona game and uh, the comeback that was on and uh, and they very quickly scored a goal to run everyone a bit flat so that could happen as well you know Olympiacos uh, um, if they're brave they'll uh, they'll push United as well because there's plenty of teams that cause United problems at Old Trafford this season absolutely I don't know the West Brom game has left me with a dizzying optimism but a lot of what was good about the second half of West Brom was one matter right the, the combination of matter and Fellaini was really really effective in that second half and some of it warranted but it felt like it went a little over the top because he also looked really clumsy a few times to me um, and a dirty player as well I mean he got like <laughs> a studs up challenge uh, which is a, a pretty bad one yeah uh, yes I think it's relative right so his performances have been so dire that when it's not dire 
people go a little over the top, overcompensating. So I actually thought he was pretty, you know, very good in the second half. I thought he had a very good second half, but I mentioned a couple of tactical issues and he's just not very mobile and pretty clumsy and he's a dirty fucker. But there you go. That's uh, kind of what you know you get with Fellaini. And I, I think he'll play a lot of games between now and the end of the season. Now he's fit. He kind of has to, doesn't he? But you're right, Matter is a loss. And, and he's a loss not only because he's a, a fine, fine player, still betting into United, I think, but also because it means that increases the chance of uh, Valencia or Young playing. Yes, absolutely. And one of them definitely will play, I'm sure. A bit of transfer nonsense before we move on to a couple of Twitter questions and then do predictions and then all go home to bed. William Carvalho, uh, talks apparently opened. Who knows what what that really means, but that's what is currently being said. So there you go. Well, we'll see. I mean, he's a, he's more of a defensive-minded player, very neat on the ball and uh, pretty physical. Hey, don't watch a load of Portuguese football uh, Talked to a few people about him. Lots of people like him a lot. He's not paid very much, so I think really the competition is over the fee. Uh, and who wants to pay the most of it? Don't know whether this is super real or not, but United watched him loads and loads of times. So he's definitely in the mixer. But, uh, you know, I'd say United have the propensity to screw up a transfer, uh, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, talking of which, a double swoop planned for Shaw and Lalana. Yeah, this is nonsense. No, no Moisey, no Moisey. Buy one, get one free still does not work. You can't just get a free left back with the purchase of every midfielder. Well, on this occasion, the left back being much more expensive, yeah. Uh, I would be shocked, shocked I tell thee, if uh, Shaw does not go to Chelsea. Uh, it would be a massive surprise. I think that one's already locked on. Uh, and um, Lalana, Lalana's growing all the time. With each season, he gets better. He was a, he was such a talented teenager, and uh, you know, technically always been you know really really good. Uh, but he's blossomed into a a player that can play in multiple positions and and seems to have taken to the international game very quickly as well. So uh, I think he'd be a good addition to the United squad if he replaced Ashley Young. Definitely be an upgrade there. Uh, I don't think he's a world class player by any means. So. Uh, for me, he's still a squad player, but we'll see. Uh, I'm not sure that Southampton will be wanting to sell a lot of their players. They don't need to. Uh, and so Shaw is the obvious one that will go in the summer, and I think he'll go to Chelsea. FC Zurich teenager Dimitri Oberlin Mfomo has chosen Manchester United as his preferred destination, apparently. So who knows what that means? I don't watch a lot of Swiss reserve football. Don't know about you, Paul. <laughs> no. And the other story, which I thought was kind of interesting, is kind of like a little throwaway line in a Manchester Evening News piece about United's transfers in the summer, suggesting that basically United have set their own transfer deadline day of the kickoff of the World Cup and they want to get all their business done by the beginning of, you know, the middle of June, effectively. I mean, that's really, really interesting, isn't it? Yep. Because after the shambles of last season, it would be very reassuring to all, all of those observing the club and perhaps even the stock market investors and stuff to see United do their business in an efficient, sensible manner. Uh, yes, it would. That's one way of putting it. The uh, the other one is, of course, that June the 12th is the day that United will pay a massive premium to get a player. Right, if they do well in the World Cup, you mean? Or... June the 12th being the day the World Cup kicks off. Uh, and yeah. uh, after that, um, it's all a lottery, isn't it? Yeah, look, I'm being a, bit, a little facetious, but it, the, the point that United need to do a lot of the business early, if, if it's going to be a very busy summer, and uh, everyone seems to think it will be, is, is a good one. This needs to kind of happen earlier. Of course, you know, they don't suddenly pick up the phone on the day the season ends and start dialing uh, 
United have done a lot of groundwork already and uh, I'd hope they've done it in a more subtle fashion than has happened in the past and of course everyone's looking at the Tony Cruz situation and thinking that United might be being played here I wonder yeah I mean I'm looking at that Tony Cruz situation and not wondering whether or not United are being played it couldn't be any clearer if it was written in big letters when he held you know he held the press conference before the Champions League game against Arsenal and basically said yeah it's definitely a possibility I could move I could go anywhere I want thing is I'm a player really in demand so basically what I'm saying is if you're reading between the lines I would very much like to stay at Bayern Munich if you could please find it in your hearts to pay me a fortune well yes I Interesting on this. I've seen a lot of commentary saying uh, somehow he's uh, annoyed with Pep because he's not a uh, first-team player or not a regular or something like that. Nonsense, right? The only player that's played more games in the Bayern Munich side this season is Manuel Neuer. He's a regular. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's very important, and he's a player who can play in multiple positions. So he's played as a holding player, he's played in central midfield, he's played at number 10 and can play wide. I think he'd play uh, right in the middle of central midfield. For United, and be very, very good there as well. He's clearly a very high-class player. I'll go to the World Cup with Germany and quite possibly start in the... Uh, First team there, and uh, he's holding a lot of cards because he's only got a year and a little bit on his contract. Uh, he's holding out to get parity with some of the better paid players at Bayern, and uh, he almost certainly deserves it. He would most certainly be paid that kind of level of wage elsewhere, and, and so Bayern uh, will have to um, eat this one. They're either going to pay him or uh, take a fee in the summer, which would still be a significant fee. He's not going for free, remember. Um, it will still be north of £25 million. As a transfer fee, and uh, you know, then reinvest that in a, a new player, and probably if they're the same quality, pay them massive wages too. So you know, you can kind of see the logic here. Uh, he's a young player, he's fit, he's important. Bayern will pay him in the end, and he'll stay there. Is uh, is my bet if I was a betting man? Absolutely, that all sounds very reasonable to me. All right, a few Twitter questions. Talking of sounding very reasonable, at bifurcated underscore mufc says, if you could only have one Danny Welbeck in your team, which would you choose, and why? I would choose Danny Welbeck because he is brilliant. Nine goals in 18 appearances in the league this season, you know, and and having an average season apparently compared to Alvaro Negredo, uh, nine goals in 20-something appearances this season. A shout out to at RFFH for that useful stat to illustrate how Danny Welbeck is brilliant and people that don't think Danny Welbeck is brilliant need to learn more about how Danny Welbeck is brilliant. Yeah, um, Danny Welbeck PR there from Paul. <laughs> um, at AB5Y says, is it worth trying to find a place for Nanny in this side? Yeah, definitely. Don't don't you think like, good Nanny would be brilliant? He's got a place on the physios table at the moment because he's not fit. And then he'll be sold in the summer. So uh, I, I've got a lot of time for, for Nanny. He's He's got bags and bags and bags and bags of talent. It's a shame that throughout his career he's never been able to play it in a consistent manner and he's uh, he's clearly not found much favour with Moyes and fell out of favour with Ferguson. So we'll see. Uh, United secured the value of their asset by giving him a new contract last summer. I still expect him to leave in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. At Rahul's J92 asks if we can find the actual amount that Man United can spend in the summer. Uh, if you listen to, I think it's three or four podcasts ago, Ed broke down the amount of cash in the bank. So it worked out about 150 million. So if we spend over that, we're going into sort of overdraft situations. Well, 
Well, United do have some uh, covenants uh, within the bond that allow uh, allow payments to be deferred for a while. So in theory, United can go into the red and there's a drawdown facility as well, basically an overdraft. Uh, so in theory, United could spend the kind of money that the Red Tops keep saying the United are going to spend, right, 200 million or so, in theory. Uh, I would say it's not going to happen, even if there were significant sales uh, this summer, which of course will bolster any transfer fees. I'd be really surprised if the United spend anywhere north of 100 million. Really surprised, uh, because the economics don't work out very well on that one. Have to amortise all these fees and financial fair play comes into it. And if United do spend that kind of money, don't expect much more investment for the next couple of years. I guess this is also, we're, we are talking in net terms as well. So like any profits from the sale of Nanny and all that kind of stuff go into the mixer here, right? We're not talking 100 million gross, are we? We're- no, no, it's, it's, it's going to be net. Um, the challenge, of course, is that United have already indicated to the market that uh, spending would be in line with historical spending. Uh, so they're going to have to indicate to the market something else. At some point. Um, <laughs> well, they already have, haven't they? Because the, this season has already been way out of line with what that figure was assumed to be. Well, quite, you know, 75 million already spent and, uh, you know, massive chunk of change to come. The real question, of course, is is whether Moyes and Woodward can spend it in the right way. And are they going to get any value for money? Because uh, I have to say, £27.5 million, pounds, no matter how well he played against West Brom, does not look like good value for Marahan Fellaini. At Tony underscore Gurria, talking of people that played well against West Brom, says, would you agree that we started to see some faith in Raphael from Moyes against West Bromwich? Yeah, and he singled him out for praise afterwards. Uh, uh, I thought that was really nice to see. In between saying nice things about Wayne Rooney, he found he found time to really big up the performances of all the defenders. I I don't think he mentioned ever, but the rest of them he did, including Raphael, and that was really nice to see. Raphael, again, improved his form once Fabio left. So, I don't know, read into that what you will. Yeah, very good performance from Raphael. I, I think he's maturing all the time. A couple of moments during the game, you thought that uh, the headless chicken was about to return. For the most part, he's making the right decisions, and, uh, you know, to go along with his kind of boundless enthusiasm and quality in the attacking third, so I just don't get the uh, constant speculation around a new right-back coming in. It doesn't make a lot of sense to spend millions on a new right-back when we have a very high-quality one there. He's maturing all the time. I think he'll get a better again next season. I mean, we could definitely do with a second right-back. Yes, yes, but um, the kind of right-backs they're talking about are very expensive uh, right-backs. So you know, I think we could do with a young right-back to come in and and challenge Raphael, and uh, because yeah, uh, having Smalling and Jones playing there is not good. Uh, adds to the yeah, hoof ball that uh, United play sometimes. Uh, at Benny Hudson says, if David Moyes is so good at scouting, why don't we just make him a scout and get a proper manager in? <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> really made me laugh that dude. Though of course you know um, he doesn't do all the scouting. He has a whole team to do scouting that. Uh, they stick into their magic iPads, beam onto the wall of Carrington somewhere. Um, but, you know, the drop of a hat, if he's got an opportunity to go scouting, he'll go scouting. Moisey absolutely loves a scout. At Alexander Gallo, talking of uh, people that want Moise out, says, um, should we sell Robin and replace him with someone pacier if he continues to let his frustrations affect his form? And Nick at Man United Youth says, uh, oh, by the way, massive, massive congratulations, Nick, uh, on the birth of what Brett from Bifurcated called Man United Youth Youth. So yeah, this week's rant cast goes out to the new little one. Oh, can he play midfield? Yeah, him and and your little ranter. That's that is midfield sorted in ten years. Well, 
15, 20 years' time. Anyway, Nick says, with the form of Welbeck and the process of young uh, James Wilson, is there really any need or justification to spend big on a potential replacement for Robin Van Persie, especially given our other needs? Yeah, well... Look, I think I think that's a bit presumptuous, right? Remember the class, right? It makes a big difference. So, uh, James Wilson, very very exciting player, unbelievable pace. I think he's going to terrify some defenders when he grows up a little bit. Uh, Welbeck, um, look, I, I like him, but he's not going to score thirty goals a season. He's just not. Uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, and Rooney looked like he was running through treacle towards the end of the West Brom game physical decline is setting in so um if you replace if you sell van persie i think they need to be bring in a big big player uh, otherwise uh, united are going to have some problems next season scoring goals and when we're all talking about rooney's injury and welbeck uh, missing the target uh, we'll be wondering why we haven't got a classy dutchman to score goals i'm not having this welbeck missing the target thing he's finishing this season as a goal every two appearances uh, for Danny Welbeck this season. His finishing has been much, much improved uh, this season. Of course, he... So how many of those were against the top uh, half of the table? Well, yeah, but how many games have we played against top half of the table sides without just hoofing it long? <laughs> you know, that's... How many goals has Robin Van Persie scored against teams in the top half of the table this season? Yes. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, by the way, that I think Danny Welbeck is better than Robin Van Persie because I love Danny Welbeck, but I'm not insane. I just want to make that very clear. Good, good. Yeah. No, look, I think um, we're looking at this the wrong way around, right? We should, Moyes, as the manager, we should be finding ways to get the best out of Robin Van Persie, and he's not doing so. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we, can, we can complain about the player sulking, but he is unhappy. Uh, and and unless we've decided that he can possibly get happy again, in which case you know you take the Ferguson route and you and you sell, and then you spend a lot of money, a lot, a really lot of money to replace like for like quality, uh, uh, or you find a way to make him happy again. Yeah, absolutely. Cheer up, Robin. That should be. Uh, uh, David Moyes should should have a one of his iPads should be just set with an app called How to Make Robin Happy Again. And it just have like a 20-point a plan for things to do to cheer Robin Van Persie up. Because, you know, it, it's very similar to the Vidic situation. It's the manager's job. You can slate the player all you want to. It is the manager's job to get the best out of his quality assets. And if he's ruined Robin Van Persie, you know, for some, I don't know, and, and all we're getting out of it is Wayne Rooney working a bit harder, it's not a trade-off that was good management, you know? Anyway... We'll see. No, very true. Well, anyway, look, that's a that's a nice long podcast there talking about a victory for Manchester United last weekend. Yes. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Unbelievable. What this means, Ed, is that we have to go to every game and sit next to each other because uh, that's clearly what did it. Right? It was yeah, the special yeah. special juju. No. Don't, don't think so. And um, uh, as in. Uh, we had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not you don't want to sit next to me at football. That's not what you're saying. Right? No. <laughs> there will be another podcast next week when we will talk about United nil, Liverpool 3, uh, and United Okay. Is United 1, that... Olympiakos 1 <laughs> in the coming week. And uh, then we'll have a very different <laughs> chat about uh, what we think about David Moyes. Is that your official prediction then, 3 nil Liverpool? No. No. <laughs> no. I, I think it will be... Uh, I think it'll be uh, 3-1 to Liverpool. (laughs) Danny Welbeck to score that one, right? I don't know. Predicting a United loss is always difficult, but predicting a United loss to Liverpool feels like it's some sort of terrible, heretical 
break from what a right-thinking person should do. Well, it is. If I pretend for a second not to be a United fan and just to be an observer of football, I would predict a Liverpool win. However, I cannot bring myself to do that, so I'm going to go with a two-all draw. There you go. Wow. Bold, bold stuff. Well, maybe not. Look, I hope the level of performance is up. This is Liverpool after all. I mean, I know there aren't that many Mancunians in the United side. Uh, it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of the players, but uh, it means a lot to the fans, certainly. Uh, and to see Liverpool come to Old Trafford and winning comfortably and stretching their lead over United is is not good. Uh, I don't think United are going to make top four, whatever happens. Basically have to win every single game from here on out and, and still have uh, others drop points. But... What with City heading out of the FA Cup, it basically guarantees that uh, United can only qualify for the uh, Europa League by finishing sixth. So there is a chase on. We have to beat Everton. And so uh, uh, points still do matter. And, uh, you know, I I hope there's there's a level of intensity as a result. Can't say I have an awful lot of faith in it, uh, but we'll see. There's no prediction there, Ed, I know this. I already made a prediction. I said Liverpool are going to win 3-1. Okay, all right. That's your official prediction, then. You are officially predicting Liverpool to beat Manchester United by three goals to one. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm sorry I'm being cold-headed about this, you know. Uh, No, that's fair enough. I've spent four years on this podcast predicting United win every week. (laughs) Yeah, we'll let you off this one. Olympiacos, you said one all. That seems... I'm going to go a heartbreaking 2-1 where they get a late away goal to take them through. Very good. All right. Well, um, we'll we'll see. It could be. It's a very big week for Manchester United. Very big week for David Moyes. There will be uh, more people on the Moyes out banner if United were to lose these two games. And City coming up in a couple of weeks' time as well. A uh, very, very big period for David Moyes. United need some performances. Will they get them? Well, we'll find out and we'll be with you again next week. See you then.